It looks like we're going to be speaking with a poet who happens to also be a lawyer. A lawyer and a poet. This is going to be interesting. But I also know our poet guest will be reading some poems for us. You know, I almost think we should have held off on this episode because it's my understanding that April is National Poetry Month. Hey, you know what? Every month is a good month to read and listen to poetry. You know what? I agree with that. everyone. Hope you've been having a wonderfully creative week. I'm Rod Jones, and we celebrate what people love to do creatively by giving them a voice so you can learn from their experiences and life. And we learn too. And I'm Angie Jones. Welcome to Thought Row Podcast. We invite you to subscribe wherever you listen, and we focus on sharing with everyone how they can think, be, and live more creatively with their own passions. Absolutely. So Angie, share with our listeners who our guest is going to be. Well, today's guest is Karen Poppy, a poet and an attorney, and I'm excited to hear that we're going to have some poetry readings today. You know, every time we have poetry readings, they seem to be a real hit with our listeners. Yeah, they do. And you know what? I like them too. (laughs) Now, I bet you may have a super somewhat relatable quote for us today. (laughs) Super somewhat relatable quote. Well, hopefully it's going to be relatable. They always are. (laughs) Okay. This quote is, we write to taste life twice in the moment and in retrospection. And that is by Anais Nin. I really like that quote. You know, I'm really not familiar with her, but I know you are. She's one of my favorites. I love her. Yeah, you mentioned her quite a bit, and I'm glad you shared this quote. It's a great quote, and I suppose you can almost relate to that quote to anything you write. Well, you can do it for poetry, for songs, for stories, or anything really. And, and just in life in general, I feel like that's entirely true, don't well, you? Well, I think and a lot of people journal right now. Mm-hmm. And so by journaling, you're kind of reliving the experiences that you've been having. That's so true. I mean, I, I try to journal, and I'm not incredibly good at doing that. I forget to journal. Well, I have one of our own journal books, I know, and I and don't you, use you, it as much well, as I you, should. You actually do pretty good, not not like me. <laughs> well, over the course of our podcast, we've had several guests that were writers, and I want to ask you this question. What do you think is the one thing they all had in common, Angie, from uh, your perspective, of course? Well, you know, that's an interesting question. Um, to me, they all seem to be very open when they came to sharing their journey in life, don't you think? Yeah, and and they're they're very, if I use the word candid, they shared their journey, but a lot of intimate details about how they became creative, how they grew up, where they lived, a lot of in-depth, but it also, you could appreciate the trials and tribulations they went through Mm -hmm. to become the creative talents that they are. Also very genuine. Very genuine, yeah. That's a great word. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of life's journeys, yeah. let's bring on our guest, Karen Poppy. 
Aaron, welcome to the Thought Row podcast. We're really excited to hear about your journey living a creative life. Hi, Karen. As everyone knows, we celebrate what people love to do creatively, and we're so happy to have you with us today. Thank you both so much, Rod and Ng, for having me here today. It's good to be with you. Well, we're excited to have yes. a poet on the I know. podcast. Not too often we have that. But, you know, before we get started with the interview, we always like to ask our guests what they had for breakfast. So what did you have? I had English breakfast tea with oat milk. I usually don't have a traditional breakfast-like food, but I always do start my morning with tea. And this morning I started with tea in a Golden Girls mug. It says on it, stay golden, girl, which is kind of, it's kind of a funny thing because, well, I'm non-binary and so it's just a kind of tongue-in-cheek play on gender. Also, it's um, in honor of Betty White, who recently passed away, and all the wonderful Golden Girls shows that we have. Oh, yeah, yes. sure. They're it's fabulous. It's a wonderful way to start your day. Oh, it's a show. Definitely. So, Karen, why don't you share with us where you're originally from and where you grew up? I'm originally from Northern California, a small town, well, small back then, called Foster City. And now it's larger and part of Silicon Valley. Back when I was growing up, Foster City had many fields. It hadn't yet been fully developed. And I would play there with my friends. There would be field rabbits and butterflies. It was just really an ideal place in a lot of ways to grow up. Sounds like it. Sounds do you have magical. a favorite do you have a favorite childhood memory from there? I do. I had some difficult aspects of my childhood and I'm lucky that I grew up in a small town with wonderful friends. My favorite memory is playing on my cul-de-sac with my good friends who lived next to me, next door, mm-hmm. and a few doors down. And also we played with my dog Mandy, a corgi who would follow us around everywhere like a nanny and made mm-hmm. sure we were safe. Mm-hmm. And my cat Simon, a tabby cat. That sounds really lovely. Yeah, sweet memories. Yeah, I mean, and you were playing outside, which unfortunately a lot of kids don't do that anymore. Oh, that's true. But you were lucky to have that childhood. Um, it also, when we originally had our chat with you, you had discussed the fact that you're an attorney. And you also mentioned a gentleman by the name of Wallace Stevens. Why don't you tell us about your career as an attorney and who Wallace Stevens is? Sure. I'm a senior staff attorney with the Hartford Insurance. My views on this podcast, of course, are not necessarily the views of the Hartford. They're my own. And Wallace Stevens was also an attorney for the Hartford, as well as a famous poet. Oh, okay. We didn't know that. So thank you for sharing that with us. And I believe you're going to read a poem now. Yes, I'm going to read a poem of mine that was published in the Wallace Stevens Journal in the fall of 2019. It's titled, Which to Prefer? It starts with this quote by Wallace Stevens. I do not know which to prefer, the beauty of inflections or the beauty of innuendos. Wallace Stevens. That's beautiful. 
Here's my poem. The best is not after or inflection. It is the hum of winter, almost still, in its vibration. An iron dark kettle perched on a fiery branch, flung full of sun. From black feathers, red radiation, midair meditation, before the steam has sung. Well, that was beautiful. That's quite beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with us today. And I'm sure that Wallace Stevens would have greatly appreciated that also. Mm, Definitely. Thank you. Well, you know, we know that you're a very accomplished writer, especially a writer of poetry. Give us a little background about your creative journey. Well, I started writing before I could actually write, before I knew how. My mom would write down poems for me when I was a toddler that I would dictate to her. Mm-hmm. And that's how it started. And uh, I was published nationally by the time I was in high school, possibly earlier, but the first ones that I remember, first poems I remember being published of mine uh, nationally were in high school. And I continued to write through college uh, and into my early 20s. Then some things happened and shifted and changed, uh, specifically sometimes unkind words can happen Mm -hmm. and make you stalled creatively. That's what happened to me. I was in my early 20s and I had a little business card printed up that said my name and underneath it, it said writer. I was so proud of myself. You know, here I am going to be a freelance writer and I'm going to just go out and um, start publishing. It's going to be a thing. So I gave my card to uh, a friend of a friend. My friend is a writer and was fairly well known at the time. Mm -hmm. And his friend um, was also a writer. His friend took one look at my card and said, oh, a writer. How cute. Oh, yeah, that's condescending. Yeah, it was. And it basically made me stop writing. I don't know what it was about that other than it um, just um, made me doubt. And I stopped writing right then. That was it for years. And it took me about 17 years to come back. But I did. I came back also following, ironically, Mm -hmm. um, a rather dark incident, but one that you know, you can take things and they either can make you or break you. And this one, for some reason, it just made me decide, okay, well, that's it. This is the time. I'm just going to go for it. And I did. I started writing poetry more than ever. I started writing one novel, finished that one, started writing another one, finished that one, and just wrote and wrote and wrote. And I'm still writing. So my message is we should never give up. There may be lulls. They could be, you know, months or decades. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. We, as creative spirits, as writers or whatever medium 
is our medium. We have the ability to regenerate and create again. Well, you're living proof of that. Yeah, very much so. Thank you. Yeah, and we're glad you did. We're glad you went back to poetry. And I'm going to ask you, poetry can be highly personal. And you mentioned to us in our initial interview that Sylvia Plath was an early read for you. You want to tell us about that? Sure. I started reading Sylvia Plath and thank goodness for public libraries and for public libraries having all of the content that they do and making it available to the public, and including to children. I was fortunate enough to have a phenomenal public library growing up in Foster City. And the public library had a large selection of poetry, including the poems of Sylvia Plath. So I started reading them and I was hooked. I was just hooked on her poems. I also started reading other poems, of course, by other poets, but hers were very special to me early on, so much so that I wanted to find out as much about her as I could. I found out that she went to Smith College in Northampton, Massachusetts. So I decided at the age of 12 that when I graduated from high school, I would go there too. Nah. And I did. Oh, how wonderful. Oh, wonderful. Do they still talk about her at that college? Oh, of course. And there is a stellar biography, uh, no pun intended, but it just came out that way. The biography that just um, was published fairly recently is called Red Comet, and I highly recommend it. It's um, been talked about at Smith College and, in fact, um, nationally and internationally. Well, I think they're very proud of her as being one of their alumni. True. And um, I'm writing this down. Red bio, I mean, red comet, because that sounds like a really interesting read. That's something I know you would like. Yeah, I would love it. Well, that's exciting that you got to go there yes. and, and also feel maybe a little bit of her energy on that campus. It is true. There was a lot of Sylvia Plath energy on the campus, and I believe still is. And going to Smith really changed my life so many times over as I knew it would, but in ways that I could have never fathomed. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recite or take a quote from Stephen King. Not exactly one I would expect from him, but when we discovered this, I thought it was very applicable mm -hmm. to this podcast. So the quote from Stephen Queen, King, sorry, um, and poets, in my view, and I think the view of most people, do speak God's language. It's better, it's finer, it's language on a higher plane that ordinary people speak in their daily lives. I think this would be a perfect time for you to comment on that quote and then read another one of your poems for us, if you would, Karen. Well, I'm just really pleased that. A writer like Stephen King would say something like that. And I'll just speak directly to Stephen King for a moment. Mr. King, you are a righteous human, and thank you so much for honoring poets. Well, we know he listens to this podcast. <laughs> That's very kind of you to say that, and I'm sure he would love yes, to hear that. Yes, I think so, too. 
And I have to I have to say I was kind of shocked that when we discovered that quote by him, but it certainly is an accurate one. Well, I know when we saw it, it was kind of like, wow, I can't believe he said that because he's so prolific that you know, I don't really associate him with po- poetry and reading poetry. So I was thrilled when he said something along those lines. Yeah. Well, I guess sometimes people are more scared of poetry than they are even of the scariest Stephen King novel. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) So true. That being said, I think Stephen King's work is wonderful and it helps people because a lot of times people need to read things in order to escape, especially in times like these. And that's what my poem, the next poem I'm going to read, is about. I wrote it before the pandemic, Mm -hmm. and it's about loneliness. But I think, you know, unfortunately, this poem is especially true now. Yeah, it's very applicable, I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this poem's also about Walt Whitman. It's titled, With Our Loneliness Glistening. Like that live oak tree, like your beloved river singing. It's going to be published in a an online publication called The Bloom, I believe in about a week. Oh, great. Oh, good. So here's my poem. Okay. Walt Whitman, what is it? You with butterflies in your beard, with salt water in your beard. From the brackish, bi-directional waters of the River Hudson. Loneliness. I am lonely too, despite this interconnection. My hair dries in the sunshine as I write, as I move my pen across your reflection. They would rather read me than know me. They would rather this than my hair done pretty. We cannot help but wonder at the river's direction. You under, me over, the spiderweb showing busy intricacies. Eccentric, the river making its own web of waves and eddies. We flow, there is so much to know between you and me. That old gnarled trunk, that smooth face, that eye, Federico, he knew you too, and what did he come to know? Afloat in that jasmine-scented boat to eternity. What is there to see? I'll wait here some more. I'm not ready for those shimmering waves, however heavenly. Like you, I am lonely. I've said this before. I, under a tree on shore. As a child, I picked blades of grass, watched the ants in single file do their soldiers' work, wished them no injury. Now I cross back to your time. Soldiers, young men and boys, our nation at civil war, startled and trenched. Division is lonely. You were a friend, a nurse, a confidant, the bedpan glinting like a fish, 
cool cloth to wipe down brow and remaining limbs. What war does to us, peace, even more alone. Then we sit in the tree's uneven shade and wonder why. My hair's all dry with salt and sun. The shade can't cover me. Tree's assortment of shadows bewilders me. It alone and I lonely, inadequate in its inadequate shade. A blue sky free from cloud is no less lonely. We have all lived under the same shade, the same sky. That is why we can call on each other to say, Hey, you there, are you lonely like me? Even when joyous, reunited with a friend, a lover, we know the answer, dear Walt. New York or Louisiana or here, I'll admit it, in California. So that's my poem about loneliness. Uh, That's quite a poem with so many facets to it. Yeah. It's a lot lot to digest there. There is, and so many pictures. Many people don't know that Walt Whitman was a nurse during the Civil War. I didn't know that, and I've read a lot about him. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Hmm. Go ahead, Angie. Very interesting. Well, I know that you've written um, not only poetry, but novels, and I believe one is about a long-distance swimmer. Um, Share with us your book writing experiences and what you hope to achieve with them in the future. Well, the book that I wrote about a long-distance swimmer, it's not yet published, and I'm still working on it. In fact, you know, you think you're done with something, and then you're not yet done. Mm -hmm. I actually plan to revise it likely into a memoir. It started out as fiction. I'm not a long-water or long-distance open-water swimmer. Mm -hmm. I have interviewed many of them for this novel and the community of long distance open water swimmers is wonderful. I owe them a lot. What I guess my main takeaway from this experience is, is the message of my main character who was, um, or is in the novel a swimmer, mm-hmm. her message is go and keep going. Mm. In long distance swimming, you do need to do that. Yeah, right? you need to keep going. Well, and that's what a novel is too. It's the long form. It's the long distance swim as opposed to poetry, which I guess some poetry can be long, but much of it is shorter. So it's the difference between what I do as an athlete. I'm traditionally more of a a runner who runs short distance. I sprint and someone who does longer distance runs or a marathon or a long distance swim. Mm -hmm. So that's the difference there too. And it did, it taught me so much and it's still teaching me. Well, when you write a novel, you have the luxury of more time to explain your thoughts and your ideas. I guess when you write a piece of poetry, uh, you have to be fairly succinct 
and convey a lot of information in fewer words. Poetry to me is very impressive, very impressive. Thank you. Yes, it's um, really about boiling down the ideas as much as you can in poetry. Although there are longer poems, there are the epic poems, and you have, I guess, more ability in those to expand upon ideas. Yeah. I want to ask you this. Every successful creative person tries to be original and authentic, but there are times when we all have some self-doubt. I know I have. How do you manage to get through those times, Karen? Well, I think that with originality, I don't necessarily go for that myself. If it ends up there, it's because I stand on the shoulders of those before me and everything comes from somewhere. You can hope that what you create will have value and will touch people. And that's basically the goal for me. Well, I think you're living up to that. Absolutely. You are. Um, What would be the one thing that you would tell people that want to live a more creative life? Well, I think the message of my character in the novel, go and keep going. Okay. Also, that community is very important. It's harder now than ever in some ways to feel a sense of community. But we do have other ways. We have these wonderful technologies that can bring us together from all over the world. Mm -hmm. And I've really appreciated that during this time. Well, it certainly has been beneficial doing a podcast because people all over the world have the opportunity to listen to podcasts, you know, whether it's ours or others, there's a lot of good content and good podcasts. Right. And feel connected to one another still and not feel isolated. I have to ask you this question about a dog named Kitty. (laughs) Why is this dog so special in your life, Karen? Well, Kitty is a wonderful, wonderful being. She came to me from Taiwan, which I wasn't expecting. I thought she was in San Francisco. I have a son who desperately wanted a cat, but for various reasons at that time, we couldn't have a cat. And uh, I started to look for a rescue dog on a website the website had a dog named Kitty. So I just jokingly said to my son, well, you can't have a cat right now, but how about a dog named Kitty? And I I thought that he would basically hate me at that point. But but instead he looked at her smiling little face and he said, yes, I I would love to have Kitty. And so I called the rescue and I said, okay, we're ready to come visit Kitty in San Francisco. She knows I'm talking about her right now. She came over for pets just now. So anyway, we were told, no, she's not in San Francisco. She's actually in Taiwan and she'll have to be flown on Air China to the San Francisco International Airport where you can pick her up. Wow. And uh, it really was for all of us, especially Kitty. And uh, 
She came with her brother and sister who were adopted by other families. Mm -hmm. They had been rescued in Taiwan during a typhoon. I know you are having some inclement weather over there. Yes. But um, this was, I I think, really something. It was storming, uh, well, a typhoon. And um, this person heard the cries of the puppies in a field and rescued them. Oh, my goodness. Um, took them into this foster situation and then they were adopted um, to into the United States. And uh, Kitty's just been such a wonderful addition to our family. She has literally saved my life several times. I'm happy to discuss that too. She's just a wonderful, wonderful dog. You're very fortunate, yeah, you and, and I have to say, Kitty is very fortunate, too. Kitty is so fortunate, but tell us some of the things that she's done to save your life. Well, you know, we'll never know if it was COVID or something else, but in December of 2019, I ended up getting very, very sick. Mm. I had been in Portland, Oregon at the time and started to develop a really bad cough, at first, it was thought to be a sinus infection. Mm-hmm. But then by February of 2020, um, I was coughing and coughing. And because I'm stubborn, I wasn't going to the doctor oh. yet. But Kitty was very concerned and she started pushing her nose repeatedly against my chest and my back where my lungs are. She wouldn't stop. Oh, that and is so, so wild. That and the convincing of various people made me decide, okay, I have to go to the doctor. And so I went and uh, it turned out that I had nodules on my lungs, a lung infection. My goodness. So she really, truly saved my life there. It's amazing what dogs know yeah, they about know. us. I, I don't know if they can smell it or if they just sense it. I like, think they sense which one it. is it? I wonder. We just don't know. We, I mean, with cancer, we know that they can smell it because uh, mm-hmm. dogs are trained in this by smelling the cancer um, samples and then yeah. bringing it into real life experience. It's so wild how she can do that. Well, it's a good thing that she, you ended up going to the doctor, though, and getting that resolved. Yes, I know. And bless Kitty. And bless Kitty. Bless yes. Kitty. So, um, Let's see here. You said during our initial phone call with you that your son was an inspiration to you. How has he helped you grow as a person? Well, he has, as children do, he's given me so many different perspectives and ideas. He has inspired some of my poems. He is just a phenomenal human being, all being said. I really admire him. He is a natural-born leader and a friend to all. He is interested in becoming an astronaut. And I know a lot of kids dream about it, but he actually can back it up. Oh, great. Um, he's, he's a mathematician mm. and a scientist, 
he wants to become an astrophysicist and he's really well on his way. I'm very, very proud of him. Well, he's lucky he has you as a mother too, Definitely. because you're very supportive and that is key to any child's Thank growth. You. That's totally key. I really key. appreciate that. Thank mm-hmm. you so much, Rod. So now I want to talk a little bit about group energy. What does that mean to you and how has that affected your literary life? Hmm. Well, that one has shifted a a lot because, well, we used to be able to meet in groups and feel the energy of all the people around us. I would actually walk into a room and cup my hands upward. I know it sounds strange, but this is what I would do. And I would take in all that energy, go home and write. Nowadays, I have to try to do the same thing, but virtually when we have our Zoom meetings, when I talk to various creative people on the phone and things like that. I mean, group energy is something that we all used to experience, especially mm-hmm. like when we used to go to trade shows and, and other types of events. Or now, just even a you, meeting. Yeah. I mean, you now know. you have to pick it up off of a Zoom call or a phone call. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that we'll end up having our groups again and be able to be part of an in-person community again, hopefully sooner rather than later. The other part of group energy is how creatives really do inspire each other. I've seen so many people start writing because they see Mm -hmm me writing or they see someone else they know writing and it's just it's a a wonderful thing when you have a friend who writes a book and you know that you basically have been in it together I I have a friend and we've been in it together pretty much from the beginning Mm -hmm. she's one she's one year older than I am we grew up on Um, the cul-de-sac in Foster City. Mm -hmm. Her name is Julie Weiss. And she's um, another lesbian writer and lives in Spain with her wife and kids. She just came out with a book in the past year of poetry, her first collection. So I don't know what was in the water in Foster City. Whatever it was. Made you all very talented. So talented. Well, we just had a burst of energy here. I saw Itchy, I, I think I jumped out Itchy of my seat three across feet. from me, and she must have jumped a foot because we had a, a big huge clap of thunder, and clap. it was so loud. I don't. I'm surprised you didn't hear it. But anyway, fun oh, wow. day, fun day. It was a fun day. <laughs> well, um, you know, I I think that I I know Rod and I would love you to share another poem. Do you have another one that you can read for us? I do. I have a slightly longer one also about Walt Whitman. I wanted to continue the theme. Okay. So this one is titled Walt Whitman Celebrates Himself. It was first published in the American Journal of Poetry. And it's also on the Smith College website um, for the Poetry Center. Okay. It quotes from Walt Whitman's Song of Myself and also 
quotes from a poem that was later set to music by Pavel Friedman, a young person who was deported to Auschwitz and died there. So here's my poem, Walt Whitman Celebrates Himself, which I dedicate to my late grandmother, Myrna Sisson Kopp. On my grandmother's door, Walt Whitman knocks like Elijah. On other doors, Gestapo kick their boot soles. No help from God. Seasons pursue each other. Allies and Axis powers at war. When she debuted the year before, fabric and sugar scarce, she longed to be older, wiser, more knowing. A Walt Whitman meandering through that great consciousness. Poet of body and soul, large yet modest in her existence. A song to herself, silver brush and vanity mirror, hair brushed to a shine like satin. Balms dropped like limitless leaves in the fields. Wars come and go, so who's there? Me, myself, singing of equalities, clear and sweet, not yet of death, that great equalizer. My grandmother examines her Jewish nose in the mirror. Walt Whitman's poem starts with his name, titled All in Caps. He smokes and belches his words, but we love him. He is a man, red-blooded American, no matter that he's gay. He's shamed by the mare. Babies just pop out, exclamations taken suddenly. Soon he's everything and everywhere. To look beyond your nose is dangerous. The Holocaust is great larger than us. Bodies drop like mossy scabs of the warm fence, heaped stones, elder mullen and pokeweed. A child says, what is the grass, fetching it to me with full hands? A child says, the last, the very last, that butterfly was the last one. Butterflies don't live here, in the ghetto. How could I answer the child? I do not know any more than he. How could I? How could she? My grandmother was 17. Walt Whitman, we can beat and pound for the dead, but their lives are lost, an ocean dried by great fire. We do not contain enough multitudes to contradict their deaths. We do not contain enough music or poetry to honor them justly. Then death stops somewhere, like it did for my grandmother, waiting for you, waiting for me. In my grandmother's copy of Leaves of Grass, inscribed on January 1, 1945, in careful cursive, 
and with her girlhood name, Myrna Skolovsky. Boy, Walt Whitman would love to sit down and chat with you. That's pretty. Spe- <laughs> that, that was, was very special, Karen. That, that was, was really so, quite thank nice. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. I, I would love to chat with Walt Whitman. I have so much to ask him and so much I would love to discuss with him. Well, right now I have a question for you because a lot of creative people have different times of day when they seem to be the most creative or have the biggest creative output. And I know you're busy with your schedule as an attorney, Mm -hmm. but is there a particular time that you feel the most creative? I mean, a lot of people say, for me anyway, three o'clock in the morning, unfortunately, but what is a good time for you? Well, I try to sit down and write my pages between around 9 or 9.30 p.m. and midnight or sometimes 1 or 2, depending on when I'm done with them. And that's um, something that as long as I have the energy to do it, I do it. But, you know, there are times like when I was sick, I wasn't able to do that as much. And I've picked it up again as I can. Um, so that's my typical time. That being said, I do sometimes feel a creative burst in the morning or during some other free moment, or I'll write something down just so I'll have it for later. Do you make yourself write something every day? There's a a great story about George Sand, the author, and she would write every single day, no matter what she was doing, if she came home late at night, Um, she would sit down and she'd write at least one page a day. Do you have that kind of discipline? Well, I do give myself days off, and I think that that's very important, at least to me. I need to be able to have the flow and then also within that the ability to rest. I think that if I'm not given that, I would probably – burn out. So I make sure that within the time that I create, I also know, okay, well, about one day a week, maybe two days, those are going to be my days of rest. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. That's very wise too, because you need to rekindle, replenish. Yeah. Especially with the emotional content of your poetry. It seems to me it'd be pretty draining. Well, It's kind of funny that way. It doesn't tend to drain me. It actually tends to invigorate me. So that's nice. I actually, I, I enjoy writing it like once it's out and it doesn't always seem to come from me. It comes from another place, you know, as a lot of creative work does. So it's, It really is more energizing than anything. I think all creative people feel like they're tapping into an energy from somewhere else. As much as we all would like to take personal credit for it, we really shouldn't. Mm -hmm. I don't think that I can. (laughs) (laughs) Understand. So um, now we're going to ask you the question that we ask all of our guests, Karen. uh, And that is, if you can sit on a park bench and chat with anyone from the past, who would it be? Well, I think that if I could sit down and chat with anyone from the past, 
sitting on a bench. It probably would be with my family and friends who are no longer here mm-hmm. so that we could catch up. And they would, I think, tell me that they're okay. <laughs> and I would tell them that I'm okay. And it would just be a nice moment to have that connection again. I, I know that a lot of people would say, well, I would like to sit and chat with this famous person or that famous person Mm -hmm. or this historical figure or that one. And yes, that would be interesting too, but I just prefer for myself more of these connections to people that I've known. Well, I think they would see you and reacquaint themselves with you. And I also highly suspect they would be very proud of you and very complimentary of your achievements. Mm-hmm. They would mm, be. That's so kind. Yeah, I think, I think that, I think that, would be. I think, Karen, that's a great answer, actually. I love your answer. And, and I like the way you stated about your, your family. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, a lot of people uh, we'll say, say they want to be with their grandparents. Grandparents. That's probably the number one. Yeah. Really? Okay, mm-hmm. so I'm not alone in that no, because no. I would love to be with my grandparents. My paternal grandmother passed away this last year at the age of 99, and I would love to be able to be with her and my grandfather who passed away when I was 16 and see what they're up to as well as my maternal grandparents and my friends who have passed on as well, the people you know that I've known and loved. Absolutely. And I think that's really a great yeah, answer. Very good answer. And no, you're not alone in that. Mm-hmm. Not at all. No. Well, unfortunately, we're come to the end. But Karen, I want to say both Angie and I were extremely excited to yes. have you as a guest. And I have to say, as much as I enjoy poetry, I cannot seem to write it at all. And you shared some real wisdom in that area. Plus, I really appreciated hearing your poetry, especially having you recite them. I think that makes it really special. It does make it special. And yes, I agree with you, Rod. You really cannot write poetry. Yeah, darn it. But you are a very good story writer, though. So Thankfully. Yeah, thank goodness. But, you know, we all have our talents, so it's cool. That's okay. I could sit here and listen to people like Karen. I know. We can just dial up Karen and have her read her poetry. It's so beautiful. Yeah. So what's going to happen in the next year or two, Rod and Inji, is um, both of you are going to come out with poetry collections. I just know it. Angie <laughs> <laughs> yeah. can write poetry. She's pretty good at it. Uh, well, sometimes. I, I try my best. But it's oh, creative. I, it's creative and I enjoy it. But now comes the time we have to let everyone know because we're getting to the end of our show that if you would like to know more about Karen Poppy, we will have links for her under the show guest tab on thoughtrowpodcast.com so everyone can learn more about her and please connect with her on social media and check out her website. Plus, you'll be able to uh, read her poetry, correct? Yes. Yeah. And you'll want to do that. Yeah, for you sure. definitely want to do that. Thank you, Karen. Thank it was wonderful so having you with us today. Thank you both so much, Rod and NGA. I really appreciate it. I'm really glad you tuned in today. We hope you enjoyed the thoughts and ideas we shared with you. We post a new podcast every week, so remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. 
Also, if you're enjoying our podcast, both Rod and I would really appreciate you buying us a cup of coffee. Just go to thoughtrow.com, scroll down a bit, and you can find that link right on our website on the homepage. It's really easy to do, by the way. Yes, it is. Um, And all the money we receive goes to our production costs. Yep. And primarily because we want to keep our show commercial free and we want to continue to bring you the best quality content with great guests. That's right. Thank you for listening to Thought Row Podcast. So it's bye for now from my husband Rod and I, wishing everyone a great day.